that are in their, their 30s or even their 40s and they don't fully develop this uh, capacity of um, turning off those emotions, no? Mm-hmm. And what what can we do or what can parents and moms do to regulate that or to understand that? Well, that's a really great question. So I think first and foremost, I mean, even if she's rejecting us as kind of like a general model, our, our kids are definitely looking to us as kind of the the barometer, right, of what they should and shouldn't do and how they can react and not react. So the biggest thing that we can do is to be that model. So when I say when I say that, what I mean is if your daughter is having a really big reaction, I think innately we kind of get little bristled ourselves and we might react by saying why are you doing that or you don't need to react that way or welcome everyone to our episode 106 of the podcast david ortega b we are going to have an honor guest today kimberly palmiotto and we are going to talk about navigating adolescence with your teens so it's a topic that is interesting for everyone that is struggling with any kind of teenager and I'm going to introduce Kimberly. Kimberly is an educational psychologist and clinical counselor as well as a mom of four girls herself. She founded Nurturing Girls to help moms and girls navigate their way through adolescence and is an author of multiple books including Marigold Girls and not your grandma's journal. So thank you, Kimberly, for being here. It's an honor to have you in the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Yeah. And my first question is always, how did you arrive to this road of helping teenagers and becoming a counselor for for these uh, people that we all struggle with adolescence? <laughs> Yeah. So, well, I am a school psychologist or educational psychologist by trade. I've been doing this for over 20 years now. And so that let that has, I've been infused in this whole child development world for a really long time. And so I've seen over and over again, that a lot of issues really start to rise up in families when kids move from kind of elementary school into middle school and high school, that's when a lot of challenges arise. And then when I had my own kids, uh, it really kind of got magnified for me once my kids went from elementary to middle school, because I was like, oh, I have all this information. And yet I was caught off guard and I was feeling like, oh my gosh, this is hard. Like, this is really hard. So um, that's when I, I kind of pivoted just a little bit because I was seeing a lot of girls come in particularly into my private practice, having a lot of difficulties with the mother daughter relationship. And that's how nurturing girls was kind of formed because I realized that there wasn't a lot of help for that particular target targeted population where understanding the changes that are happening during adolescence Mm -hmm. and how a lot of them are really normal, especially now we have this amazing research from the neuroscience community that's showing us how the teen brain works, that we didn't have that. Like when I was a teenager, they didn't have any of that. They just thought you went kind of from, you know, being a child to being an adult. (laughs) 
And the, the teenagers were just all hormonal. It's just all hormonal and they'll get over it and just power through. Well, now we have this really, really cool science to show us through the brain imaging and things like that, that there are really specific things happening in the teen brain that are causing some of these, what looks like hormonal craziness hmm. for parents. So when we understand that a little bit more, it's easier to really feel a little bit more empathy for them, but also help us navigate a little bit better. Okay. Yeah. Well, I myself, I'm a, I'm a father of a daughter that is about to go into that stage. Well, it's almost two years and she will start becoming and an adolescent and and I certainly understand that because um, she and her mother are kind of having a little bit of rough problems sometimes and I just understand what happens no so <laughs> yeah <laughs> and my first question is uh, what is the first thing that you notice uh, in girls that they start doing or acting or behaving when they they kind of switch on the adolescence uh, hormonal pathway let's say yes well i think one of the first things that we see obviously we see the physical part of puberty starting to pop up but even before then we're going to start to see our daughters start to kind of do this little practice of independence where they might be, you might get a few eye rolls, you might get a little bit more talking back, you'll get some challenging, right? Because what they're trying to do is they're trying to kind of assert their, their own independence, but they're doing it in a way that they're kind of like tiptoeing out just a little bit, not really doing a full push yet, but just trying it out a little bit. You'll see that they start to navigate a little bit more towards friends and they start worrying a little bit more about how they look or maybe fitting in a little bit more with other kids. Sometimes in this early stage, you might see girls um, that were, let's say, like really into unicorns and pink and all of these things now all of a sudden rejecting all of that. Right. And now I don't want to wear that dress. That's too, you know, that's too kindergartenish or whatever it is. So those are little many steps that you might see moving toward this push for adolescence. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And is it in the, um, is it this dialogue that they start doing, or as you, as you mentioned, they start fighting for their identity just with the same gender? I mean, daughter, mother, or it can happen daughter, father also. Oh, it can happen definitely with both. It will happen with both eventually. Yeah. I think it kind of starts with mom and I think it be, I think it becomes so pronounced with mom because you, as a mom, we are her kind of model, right? Mm -hmm. we, when we When she's looking to us, she's looking to us as this is what a woman is like. This is what I'm going to grow up as. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very conflicting time for kids and adolescents with, with moms because yes, she sees us as, kind of the model of what is, what she's going to be when she grows up. But in order to individuate and kind of be her own independent self and form her own identity, she's forced to almost um, reject us in a way because that if she's too much like us, then she's not herself. So she's trying to figure out this really, it's kind of a dance, right? Of how do I still like merge those two things together so that I can be independent 
and yet still understand that my mom is this model of a woman that I'm going to be one day. So for a while, you will really see, that's when we see a lot of this um, um, talking back and a lot of arguing and a lot of debating between moms and daughters. And many times this is when like, for example, I know for in my house, my voice can be really annoying to her. She doesn't want to dress the way I dress. She doesn't, right? It's like all those things that you're like, it's so offensive, but really it's it's normal. <laughs> but it's so hard to not take it personal because like, what do you mean my shirt is obnoxious? I love this shirt. <laughs> you know? yeah. It's but my favorite. Like, no. Right. Yeah. She's like, no, that's awful. I can't believe you would even wear that. It's so disgusting or whatever. Right. Because she's like, I can't have, I can't be you. I have to be me. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I I was just thinking about something that probably can explain also what is happening and you will uh, go deeper into that, of course, if you want about the brain. I think that it's sort of like watching yourself in a mirror and seeing the mom. I mean, the daughter is seeing the mom and is identifying things in the mom, in the in the image of the mirror that she's not. Um, first, she doesn't understand yet what, why, do they have these characteristics? And second, they see things that they don't want to become sometimes because they are mm -hmm. choosing something different. Mm -hmm. No, so absolutely. What and what ha what happens in the brain so it's it's interesting because at, what what's happening in the brain from a teen standpoint is that it's going through a full reconstruction mm -hmm. right kind of it happens also when they're toddlers right they go through this very big reconstruction of their brain where they're having these huge growth spurts they're taking so much inf information in and building all these neural pathways while simultaneously kind of pruning the stuff out that they don't need and getting rid of it mm -hmm. so that's happening but what's also happening is that they've got hormonal shifts that are influencing all of those things. And the actual development of the brain itself is kind of going back to front. Mm -hmm. So the, the frontal part of the brain is this prefrontal cortex. And that's what's, a, that's what's responsible for the things like uh, problem solving and executive functioning and organization and decision making, right? But back way deep is that limbic part, that amygdala part in the limbic part of your brain that is really the survival mode. That's where that fight, flight, freeze comes in. It's the emotional center of the brain. Well, that gets that's developing first for adolescents, and it kind of takes over. And then slowly but surely by like mid-20s, it will make it all the way up to actually almost 30s now. They're finding um, that frontal lobe. So when you're seeing girls that are you know, kind of giving those emotional responses to you, they look like they're really, you know, quote unquote hormonal, or they're rejecting you, and they're having these big emotional responses. It's that's why right now in that in that early, especially early phase of adolescence, that emotional part of their brain is taking over, it will hijack every other part uh, if she's feeling elevated in any way, right? If there's, she's feeling defensive, if she's feeling embarrassed, if she's whatever it may be, that's going to be magnified. Whereas normally we might have that feeling and we can rationalize it because that's the, the frontal lobe of our brain is kind of like, wait a second, do you really need to be that embarrassed? Do you need to be that outrageous right now? And you rationalize it a little bit based on your own decision-making and problem solving. But for teenagers, they don't really have that skill yet. So since this is the part that's developing first, it's, it's taking over. 
if that makes sense. Yeah, of course, it makes a yeah. lot of sense because it's like they are floating into chemicals that are the, those hormones and that impedes the, I mean, the rationalization of what is happening and they just go with the emotion, no? And I think that, as you mentioned, we are seeing that those attitudes, even in people now, <laughs> I, I dare to say, that are in their, their 30s or even their 40s and they don't fully develop this uh, capacity of um, turning off those emotions, no? Mm-hmm. And what what can we do or what can parents and moms do to regulate that or to understand that? Well, that's a really great question. So I think first and foremost, I mean, even if she's rejecting us as kind of like a general model, our, our kids are definitely looking to us as kind of the the barometer, right, of what they should and shouldn't do and how they can react and not react. So the biggest thing that we can do is to be that model. So when I say when I say that, what I mean is if your daughter is having a really big reaction, I think innately we kind of get a little bristled ourselves and we might react by saying, why are you doing that? Or you don't need to react that way or, you know, really kind of challenging or without even meaning to shaming or belittling her right? We never mean to do that, but sometimes it comes out that way because we felt a little defensive. If we instead can take a moment to just reflect back like, oh, wow. I mean, if she says, let's say, for example, um, she's having a big emotional reaction about not being able to do something. And she says, I can't believe you're doing this. This is ridiculous. Why won't you let me have my iPad for how long, however long I'm going to do it? So, you know, let's talk about this for a second because I can see you're getting really upset. Yeah. Like, I, it looks like you're really anxious or it looks like you're really angry. Let's talk about that. Why do you think, right? So you're walking her down this problem solving. Mode. Why do you think that I said it's time to turn off the iPad? And and she might say something like, um, I don't know. I don't know why, because you don't want me to have it. Well, actually, no, I did it because I was thinking. And then you start walking her down the road of how you came to that decision. Right. I was thinking that if you turned it off, if you didn't turn it off right now, you're probably going to be on it for another hour and then you're going to go to bed and you'll have we've talked before about how this screen time really impacts your sleeping. And if you don't get a good night's sleep, then it's hard for you to wake up in the morning and have a good day at school. So for me, that's why I'm telling you that I think it's a good time to get off. Right. So what you're doing is step-by-step walking her through how you came to the decision you did so Mm -hmm. that instead of it being an emotional reaction, it becomes more of a logical, rational understanding. And um, there might be times, I know there's times in my house when she's not ready to have that discussion. She's just in the emotional state and that's okay. And in those moments I have to say, you know what, I want to talk about this, but I need to take a break. So it's not, you need to take a break, right? (laughs) Because if I say to her, you need to take a break right now, she's going to be like, and she's going to freak out on me because she's like, don't tell me what I need to do. Instead, (laughs) it's, I need to take a break. So I'm going to take a break and I'll come back to you in a few minutes. And then when I circle back, like she's had a hot minute to calm down. I've had a hot minute to calm down. And then we can have that discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was reflecting on on the things that I say to my daughter sometimes when when she wants to do some things that, of course, for her, 
they sound fun. They sound that, that she's what she wants to do and she doesn't want to do homework or math or whatever it is. And and I just ask her questions and, and I try to elicit the answers from her. So I, I ask her, well, let's say that you don't do the homework and let's say that you watch the, the iPad or watch an episode or whatever. What is going to happen with the homework? And I ask her the things and she tells me, well, I will have to do it in the, in, at night. And and I just ask her, and how do you think me or your mom are going to be in terms of being with energy or tired or in what kind of mood? And she understands and she says, well, you are not going to be in a good mood because you are tired and or you are. And are you going to be, are you going to have energy after everything to do the homework? And she says, no, probably no. <laughs> she says, probably no. And I said, well, that's your answer. So first the homework and then the other activities, no? And as you mentioned, it's just um, dividing the, the activities into a logical sequence, no? Yeah. And I love that because what you've done there is you've, instead of you walking through the thought process yourself, you're asking her to walk through it by just kind of asking those guiding questions, mm -hmm. right? It's scaffolding the responses the way that you know they're going to be answered. Uh, and that's, it's wonderful. That's a perfect example of how to do that so that she is coming to, she feels like she's coming to the conclusion on her own. Yeah. even though you provided the roadmap, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that it's it's working very well because many times she surprises me with, with answers or with even with questions, no? Mm -hmm. and, and she challenges sometimes those questions and she tells me, well, why is that going to happen? And then that's what I explain more. But she wants explanations. She she wants to rationalize the things more and understand. And sometimes she even gets to the conclusions. Oh, so that's why, for example, you and my mom discuss sometimes. And, we, and I said, yes, that's why it happens sometimes. Yeah, I think that is one of the key components that we often forget about as girl, well, teens in general are kind of moving into adolescence is, is this whole idea of they want to be, they want to be understood, but they also want to understand. And so if you can remember that constantly with them too, if, you know, I just like we, it's the same thing as for adults, right? I want to be heard and understood. And I also want to understand what other people are, are feeling and doing so that I can now make my, my own decisions based on that information. Same thing. So if you have, if you're having a conflict with your son or daughter that's in this phase, just tune into that and have those conversations. And more than likely, I would say probably 90% of the time, mm -hmm. you're going to, you're going to resolve the conflict because they're being heard and understood. And they're also, you, they also have the why behind your decisions. So. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what can, when, what can people, what can parents do when they start noticing that their teenagers are struggling with physical changes in terms of probably 
many times happens in schools that they make fun of them for whatever reason because of the changes that are happening. So how have you approached those situations? That's a great question. And this is going to happen, uh, by the way, to every single child, <laughs> because as kids get into adolescence, that's, this is part of that whole developmental process is the comparison because they're comparing themselves to other kids in order to try to figure out what their own identity is. So I have yet to met, meet a teenager that said that, that loves every single thing about themselves. There's always something physically that they want to change. Like I, I know, you know, one of my daughters for some reason has this thing about her. Her nose is beautiful, but she thinks her nose is too big. And I think I always want, what I want to say to her is you are insane. It's you're beautiful. Right. But what we, what happens often is that we do say that. So we, instead of, instead our comeback is um, no, 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 that's not true. This is really nice about you, or this is beautiful, or you're, you know, there, why do you think that? But what that message is when you say that instead of um, empathizing with them is that you don't really understand. You don't hear me, mm-hmm. right? Even though our intention is to try to make them understand that their lens is skewed. They are not seeing reality, right? It doesn't matter because all they hear is you just don't understand. So instead of contradicting what they're saying, so if, if, for example, my daughter comes to me and says like, I hate my nose, it's so big. Instead of saying, no, it's not, it's beautiful. I, I then start to kind of go down the, the inquisitive curiosity road of like, well, why, why, what makes you say that? Right. And then I have, then you start engaging in that discussion. So many times you might have that discussion once. And if it comes up again, you kind of pivot or, or move to a different subject, start talking about the things that she really is good at, or he really is good at or enjoys or passion projects. Because the bottom line is that the core of this is them again, using that comparison to find their identity. Well, there are so many ways of finding your identity. And one of the really most important ways that research shows us is to get real, find something you're really good at because then that gives you the sense of accomplishment. And then you realize, oh, I am very good at X, Y, and Z. And that's an internal characteristic versus an external characteristic. So mm-hmm. we want them to really focus on those inner characteristics. We want them to grow you know, their self-esteem and their confidence and things like that. And that's done through being able to be become um, try things out get better at them set goals for yourself and accomplish those goals so those are the things that if they start talking about the physical characteristics we really want to try to give them other things within their lives that are not about the physical that are about the internal characteristics that they're building and really focus on those mm-hmm. um, if they want to talk about how their nose is too big or their skin is not clear that's okay you know, you can have those conversations, but have them from the standpoint, not of like, how are we going to fix it? Or what are you going to do? But just like, okay, well, what can we do to help you feel better? Mm. Right. Because there's, there's, those are passing, they're passing the physical characteristics, they will move past that. And if we can build the internal, then we give them a good foundation of self-esteem and confidence. Okay. Yeah. Is it good that uh, you also try to go back in time and and tell them or narrate them 
that you also struggle with certain characteristics of you, like, for example, in my case, when I was a teenager, I, I was overweight and I struggled a lot of with being chubby and being f make make them fun of me. And so what I did is I started to do exercise and I start to lose weight and then I start to feel better. So if I just tell them that that story or tell her that story, probably, I don't know, she will feel that she can do something of like, I don't know, make her hair in a different way so that the nose looks better or whatever it is. Wear glasses yeah. without <laughs> without the <laughs> prescription and probably that's going to make it better, no? Yeah, I think that um, I, I always, always, always advocate for parents to use your stories and share them with your kids because I think, number one, it makes us human right? Because I think we can easily get caught up in this trap of like being kind of up on that pedestal where we're dehumanized by our kids. And when they find out that we had similar challenges or that we made mistakes, all of a sudden it kind of brings us down to a level where they feel like they could connect with us a little. So I always encourage that. I do think if we're talking about the physical characteristics and like it's definitely a good idea to share. Yeah, I felt that way when I was your age too. Mine was X, Y, Z, you know, feeling overweight or maybe it was, you know, not like I didn't develop fast enough or it developed too, too, too much or whatever it was too fast. Whatever it is, if it's physical, finding ways to also help her understand that it didn't take you changing who you were in order to feel better. It also, that might've been a part of it, but really, it also had to do with understanding your own sense of self. And once you got there, other things made sense as well. Because I think I, I want, I always want to highlight for our teens that, you know, they have so much that comes out them in terms of changing your physical appearance to meet the ideal, especially for girls, but also for boys, that every time that we can take advantage of having the discussion about uh, turning away from that and turning more inner to the inner sense of self as your point of reference and kind of your North star. Mm -hmm. I always encourage that too. So. Which is something that I also love because I mean, anything that is intrinsic is all is in your control. Every, everything that is intrinsic is in your control and you can always boost it, make it better. And you can always find things that, you are, as you mentioned, you are good at and you enjoy. And just that is going to switch a different release of chemicals that is going mm -hmm. to help them and to make the other negative chemicals go down. Because also it is uh, when we are comparing ourselves, when we enter into the social network, what it goes up a lot is dopamine. No, and we are driven by that, and we that just floats our brain, and we don't have any kind of um, power in those moments because we yeah. are just making it higher and higher and higher. So if we just release that dopamine with something that is going to make us feel better inside, we are going to um, jump off the serotonin, the oxytocin when we relate with our parents. And I think that's going to counter fact the, the amount of dopamine that we have. No? 
Yeah, I, I I think that is absolutely true. I love what you just said about how the any all the intrinsic is in our control because I think that's one of the things for teenagers that often they feel out of control. So they are trying to find ways in their lives to take control and be independent. And that is a really, really powerful thing to teach them that everything that you have inside your thoughts, right? The thoughts that you have, you have control over those. You might not have control over everything outside, but you do have it inside. I think that is powerful for them to understand. Yeah. (laughs) And what happens with energy and sleep in the teenage uh, years? What have you experienced with them in terms of they usually what happens, or I think that that's what is the most common um, symptom is that they don't want to sleep too much. They just want to go higher and higher in the threshold of going to sleep later. So, and that that affects more their mood, no? Absolutely. So it's really interesting because what what the research tells us about this is that there really is a shift. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forget what age it is. I think it's around 13. I want to say 13. I can't remember the exact age, but their, their, um, their circadian rhythm actually shifts. It literally shifts. So when, when you see the, you know, kids that are moving into the teenage years and they're really not, they're like, I'm not tired. I'm not tired. And it's like 11 o'clock. And we're like, well, I don't want to bed because I'm exhausted. It really is true. They are not tired because their, their whole rhythm has shifted. So the reason why we see that they don't really feel like they need that much sleep is not that they don't need to sleep. It's because they're going to sleep later, but we're still, they still are forced to get up early because they still have to go to school. Right. So if they could, if you just let them sleep, like I have one here who goes, if she could, she would go to sleep at one and then Mm -hmm. sleep until one. Right. And she literally would sleep until one o'clock because she has before, because that's how she's shifted. And it does shift back, just so everybody knows, it does shift back, like around, I think it's like early 20s, kind of when all of this starts to really get all developed too, it shifts back to a normal setting. But during this time period, it all shifts. So it's it's interesting because um, from a school perspective, we never take that into account, no. right? In fact, a lot of high schools start very early. They start at 7, 7.30 in the wow. morning, and that just is not ideal. For high, for high school students, uh, really, they should be starting like nine ten and going until four or five. But that's just is not how it works. So, yes, you're right. They want to go to bed later. They probably would even sleep in later if we let them. They have they really really need uh, at least eight to ten hours of sleep. Yeah. And I know there's probably a ton of people that are like, there is no way that my kid's getting that. There is no way that that's happening. But if you if they can get that amount of sleep. It, it allows them to consolidate all of the information that they've taken in throughout the day. It allows, there's so many benefits to the sleep. And many times I will see kids that have massive anxiety or depression, or they're having, it looks like ADHD symptoms. Mm-hmm. And when we dig a little bit more, I realize, wow, they haven't been sleeping for the past two years. They've maybe, they're maybe running on three hours of sleep a night. Yeah. Well, your body adjusts to that. Your body reacts to that. And it is very difficult and it can look like all of those other things because your body is trying to figure out how do I run on empty? Really? So um, yeah, it's sleep is that's one of the biggest things that I advocate for parents is to find a way 
get technology out of their room yeah. two hours before the, before their bedtime. And if they don't fall asleep right away, like I have, you know, my kids are like, I'll, I'll give them a book and I'll say, you can read, yeah. read as long as you need to read. Cause usually if you read, your body is going to start yeah. cueing you to go to sleep at some point. Um, but if you can get the technology out of their room and get off technology completely two hours before bed, it does help kind of spark the melatonin in order to get you to fall asleep. I know that's hard because a lot of kids use their phones for alarm clocks, but there are other options. And uh, I just really am a big advocate of that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I was going to suggest that also that the reading, I was going to ask that about the reading uh, because I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I, I used to read in the night and I completely fall asleep. Yeah, very it is quickly. very it's soothing, right? Yes. <laughs> There's a soothing thing about reading. <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't read more than, I don't know, two, three, five pages and mm -hmm. then goodbye. <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. Same, same. I'm, I'm training my daughter with meditations at night. So, mm -hmm. well, training sounds a little funny, but I am trying to get her used to the kind of soothing in the, at night and trying to get calm with either stories or meditations. Mm -hmm. And that works very well for her. No. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because I am a huge advocate of that. Um, we have, we were doing, uh, we were doing reading and stories, you know, with my younger kids, but we also did um, like guided visualizations at night, which mm -hmm. kind of helped. And um, sometimes just audio books, even stories. I, I think those are really great and helping introducing meditation especially early on is a really great way for kids to be introduced to it without feeling like I have to sit and meditate. Right. Mm -hmm. I, it's really just understanding that this is just a, a way to stay in the here and now to get your body calm. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I love that idea. That's great. Uh, it's funny because my daughter usually falls asleep when, when we are doing a meditation and she tells me, no, that I don't want that because I fall asleep. And I just tell her, don't worry, your subconscious mind is going to pick the messages. Yeah. <laughs> all of the messages. So fall asleep, whatever. And that's it. I mean, yeah. she, she's really easy to sleep. And she gets that from her mom because they sleep very, very well. So they're lucky. <laughs> yeah, they are really, really lucky. I am a light sleeper. So I any kind of noise, I just. Uh, get up or or yeah. awake no and well and now with the with the food what can you tell me about the the kind of foods that they crave and how much uh, should we allow how much should we control or what are the typical cravings that they are going to have and and why do they have those cravings sometimes mm, that's a that's a very good question too i think that um a lot of that is dependent on kind of what they've been exposed to before. Yeah. Right. So, you know, if we're raising our kids with a fairly balanced diet, there might be some, you know, um, pushback or revolt against that as they go into teen years, because now it's like, well, I have control over what I eat and I'm eating, you know, Cheetos or Coke or whatever it is every now and then. But I also think that keeping those discussions open when they say, I'll give you an example. 
my oldest daughter uh, really loves coffee now. That's her thing. She's 17. She loves coffee. She loves even soda. And we're not a huge soda family because I don't think it's super great for you. Um, but she um, she also, you know, loves kind of like big carb meals and things like that. But then she'll eat those things and then she'll say, oh, my stomach, you know. <laughs> And so we it really kind of opens the door for a conversation, not of like, oh, well, if you wouldn't have eaten that, maybe you wouldn't feel that way, but more about like, hmm, I wonder why, you know, right. and then she say, well, I did have a soda today. Okay. Well, what do you, what do you think could have been a better option? Like, it's really not about telling her. It's just about it's circling back to what we talked about before, opening the door for the conversation. And not using an I told you so or a you should have type of um, model, but really just being like curious about it. You know, well, I know I had a soda the other day and I felt awful like all day long because it I haven't had it for so long. My body didn't know what to do with it. And she was like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, OK, well, then maybe that's your clue. So I think having the conversations is important. I also think allowing them the choice because if you don't allow, if you don't allow some choice, they're going to, they're going to do it when you're not around. Yeah. I mean, that's really the bottom line. So I, I really believe in being able to offer choices to allow for the conversations of the results, good or bad, because then they're doing it within the controlled piece of that conversation versus doing it outside when you're not there. Yeah. They still might do that, but I think. I would rather have her experiment with some foods and see how they feel on with her to her body when we can talk about it instead of doing it on her own. So, and I, I think it's like that for a lot of different things, you know, too, but um, I think that's part of it. I also think that if they're raised and with a really healthy diet, more than likely they're going to default to that most of the time. Um, I think that making sure that you're having conversations about what your food values are as a family. You know, we all have different food values as a family. We don't really talk about them very often, but you know, there's some families that really are not vegetable eaters. There's some families that are pure vegetarians. There's some families that don't have any junk food in the house at all. Right. And so like having those conversations about food values with your kids is kind of important because that's going to be a part of her identity or his identity as they grow older. And they're going to choose whether or not they want to include that as part of their identity or not. And so the more informed that we can, more information we can give them, then they become a more informed consumer themselves. What, what I have uh, done with, with my daughter is that I have um, explained her even if it's scientific or whatever, I try to explain here. Well, you know why you don't, you shouldn't eat those kind of foods. Look at the label and tell me the ingredients. Tell me which ones do you understand? Yeah, it's a great and, idea. And I told, and I told her, you know the names. Those names are because they are just chemicals, and they are not even for regular people to understand them because those are the, the ones that damage you. And let's do an experiment. Try these cookies, these Oreo cookies, that they are addictive, and then see how many you can eat without whatever, no? And she finishes the package. Sometimes yeah. eats six or the eight, and then 
two days or three days apart and I tell her, well, now eat these kind of cookies. They are from a, a bakery. They are more natural. They are just regular sugar and that's it. And she only eats one or probably two during the day and she are she's not craving them no or looking for them and i told her you saw what happened that that's your answer which one is better for you the one the oreos or the the other ones and and she, a, yeah. i was gonna say what a cool experiment i think that's amazing i'm getting totally gonna steal that and try it <laughs> it works great. really well because now she's advocating for that and she when she goes with her mom and they do the the groceries together and she tells her mom just read what is behind and see if it's the better choice and, and i she, love that really oh my funny. gosh i love it <laughs> <laughs> and well finally and i think that we can wrap it up with this question uh, what what happens in terms of the exercise what do you think about trying uh, for the teenagers to to try a sport, to join a team, to do something that liberates the energy for them? Well, so exercise is one of the key components in mental health, especially for teenagers, uh, because it does, it releases the endorphins. It kind of helps balances some, balance some of the chemicals that are going, hormones that are going on in their own body. Exercise is so important, as important as sleep, I think. Uh, now in terms of the type of exercise, that's going to be personal to each person, but I really, really, really love the idea of team sports. If kids are interested in it, because mm -hmm. team sports gives you the opportunity to practice some of those social, um, uh, connections and situations and conflicts that you have. It also really allows you to have a separate group of friends from your group of friends at school. Mm -hmm. And the reason that's important, especially for girls, but for boys too, is because the more kind of pods of different friends you have, the easier it is to manage the social drama that goes on with girls, because inevitably you're going to, your daughter is going to be in a group of, of girls together and there, there'll be some gossiping or some drama that's going on between them. And if she's on the receiving end of that, it's really, really hard if that's her only group of people. But if she has maybe a sports group or an, uh, a, an art group or whatever it is that she's involved in with other things, church group, then she can take a break from that and move over here and, and still feel very positive about the social connection she has while she's kind of problem solving what's happening over here. So it doesn't, their self-esteem and confidence doesn't take as big of a hit if they have multiple sources of social reinforcement with friends. So the team sports in general is a really great way to do that because um, it, it it's kind of a built-in social circle that you have when you're a part of that team. So I think there's a lot of advantages to, to exercise in sports. <clears throat> yeah. 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 Okay. So, well, what can be the final message for teenage moms that they are struggling? <laughs> um, first of all, you're, you can do it. <laughs> yes. It's going to feel like you can't. I promise there's going to be some days where you're like, I can't do this anymore. You can do it. There is always, there's an end to this, to this long tunnel that you're in. But in, you know, while you're traveling down the road, I think one of the things I always want to tell um, moms when we're working together is 
try to just focus on the connection. If you can keep the connection with your, with your daughter or your son throughout, then you're going to, you're going to make it to the end with not as many scars, right? Because if you're constantly having an open communication and open dialogue, and you're giving them the opportunity to ask questions without judgment, to share without judgment, they're going to feel seen, they're going to feel heard, and they're going to feel understood. And that's all that they want, really. So even if they're mad at you, if they know that that's the core of your relationship, the connection is going to remain. So thank you. Thank you, Kimberly. It was a great, great uh, conversation. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will listen to each other on our next uh, episode. If you have questions, if you have anything that you can ask Kimberly, where can people find the, find you? Uh, well, they can find me on uh, Instagram and TikTok, and that's at, at nurturing underscore girls. So there's a little underscore in there. Um, or you can find me on my, at my website. It's nurturinggirls.com. And I have an email there. You can contact me. You know, I, I have lots of ways, resources and things like that. So feel free to reach out anytime. Thank you. <laughs> We will post the notes anyway. <laughs> Thank Wonderful. you. Wonderful. Thank Bye. you so much. Thank you.